0: Welcome back to Digital Health 101. A term you may be familiar with is computer vision. Now computer vision is basically what a computer sees through its camera, but how does that work and what can a computer learn from such information? It's actually quite fascinating. So join me in conversation with Megan Conroy from Capture Proof as we discuss the impact of camera vision technology on healthcare and some of its applications. Hello, Megan Conroy. Thank you for joining us on Digital Health 101.
1: Hi, Dr. Beanie. So nice to be here.
0: It's so great. It's so great. I invite you to talk to us a little bit about some of the work you've done in the area of computer vision, the company you've started around that. But before we get there, we have a funny little story, our own little origin story. And by the way, in in full disclosure, I've known Megan for some time. We've done research together using her platform. And for a while, I was a consultant to their company. So just to be absolutely crystal clear about that. But I'm honored that, that Megan decided to spend time with us today, because as you'll see, she has a really interesting perspective on the application of these technologies and visual imagery in healthcare, which I think all of us will benefit from hearing. So Megan, do you remember how we met?
1: (laughs) How could I forget? (laughs) (laughs) I do remember how we met. I was introduced to you from Dr. Barber, I believe, who isn't he now in New York?
0: He is in New York. The amazing things.
1: Yeah, doing really amazing things. So Dr. Barber was interested in the project. Everyone called it a project at that time. My project from eight years ago. He was interested in it, but he didn't have the time to do anything. And you were this young up and coming whippersnapper (laughs) that I should talk to who had the energy and the bandwidth to look at what was going on. And when we first initially spoke, I was in Chicago at Techstars and was taking capture proof through Techstars. We were neophyte of a company at the time. And we had a long conversation about your vision of decoupling PT from the office. And you were very interested in using video to do that. And so was I. And we had quite a long conversation at the end. You understood video to mean streaming video. And I understood video to mean video clips. And when that misalignment came to be, I... uh, I wish
0: you good luck. <laughs> yes, you said, I'm not doing that. That is so 2013. <laughs> it's like it's like, wait a minute, that's last year. What's wrong with last year? <laughs> You're like, oh, we're beyond that. Synchronous takes up too much time. Synchronous requires a doctor and a physician, a doctor and their patient being in a room at the same time. That's the problem with healthcare. Getting those two people take a lot in the same place, takes a lot of effort. You said, I want to decouple that and we're gonna do this by decoupling the video experience and sharing that video between the patient and the provider and seeing if we can deliver care that way. And I was like, hmm, wait, that does sound better. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should do it your way.
1: Yeah, it and is. So really that, You're like, wait, wait. <laughs>
0: wait, wait, wait. Yeah, wait. Do tell me. Wait, wait. Do tell me. Tell me that more. was a great start. And But you have another history that brought you to that point. You didn't just wake up one day and start a company looking at the use of images in healthcare. You have a healthcare background and you have a photograph background. Would you want to tell us a bit
1: about that? Yeah, I like to say that Capture Proof found me. I didn't find it. I'm very curious about the way our body heals. I think that's magic. I have a physiology degree and um, worked for Big Pharma for many years, mostly in the neurology space. After launching 14 products into the market, I went to Paris and got my graduate degree in photography because I had an opportunity. Because why to do not? So.
0: That's what people do after they launch 14
1: yeah, products. Why not? <laughs> And I was working as a photographer and was waiting for my visa to come through. I had to change my flight back to Paris four times, waiting for France to give me my visa. I was cursing the government on a weekly basis. And when I finally got on the plane that allowed me to go back, I was sat next to the head of R&D for a company called Saitori Therapeutics, which is a stem cell company down in San Diego. And we had a six-hour flight ahead of us. And I had just finished my graduate thesis in Zambia, looking at mother to child transmission of HIV. And I was mind blown at how how access to care was so hard and how struggling our earth was with healthcare. And he all of a sudden was like, oh, wait, you're a photographer. I need to know all this information because I'm trying to put a photography solution together for a clinical trial. So three weeks later, I was managing 13 clinical trial sites across Europe and started my foray in 2008 into the meaning of visual endpoints in medicine and looking at how important and valuable they can be, but also respecting the science of them and trying to solve the problem of being able to get consistent images over time from multiple places. And as I said, bit by bit, Capture Proof was born.
0: And by the way, for context people, the iPhone was introduced in 2009. So there's a lot a lot happened while you are building this company.
1: Yeah, so we've been very early to the market, like we were when I introduced it to you in 2013. <laughs> and now it's really become something like, wait, we don't already do that. And what's so exciting about what we're able to do with visuals just in general is, the human brain can read them so quickly. Our brain has been trained through evolution to read a visual image in 13 milliseconds. And to level set that, it takes your eye 150 milliseconds to blink. And so, in a tenth of a blink of an eye, your brain processes the vision before you. So, to take that efficacy of time and put that into medicine is the goal of capture proof.
0: And the technology behind capture proof a lot relies on. This technology we call computer vision, and you've integrated that beautifully in the app. So let's talk a little bit about computer vision. And how would you define that, the term that seems to be popping up increasingly in the lexicon of digital health?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple, a couple kind of theories or concepts that we should talk about. Computer vision being one, machine learning, and AI being a couple others. So computer vision is actually, you can liken it to a ruler. The ruler has a reference concept of measurement of inches or millimeters. And then you take that ruler and you put it up against something and it gives you back a number based on that reference of information. So that computer vision is an algorithm that has an understanding and creates a calculation based on that understanding. We have some computer vision that looks at something and knows that it's skin and then watches that skin move around and gives us angles based on the movement of that skin. Now, machine learning and AI is much more based on having examples of that information and pattern recognition, having pattern recognition um, be what is the determinant of the calculation. So a lot of our wound data is more machine learning and AI driven than just pure computer vision. We have a a gait analysis and our shoulder structure is machine learning. We have full machine learning of the shoulders and watch the shoulders walk down. But then we use computer vision for the feet and watch the cadence of the feet through computer vision. So really what both offer you is an ability to take visual information and objective calculation from that data. And then, what capture proof is particularly focused on, because medicine is a study of patterns, is looking at the progress of a specific patient and what delta time means to that patient in these referenceable calculations that are possible.
0: So. Let's focus a little bit on. You mentioned that computer vision in and of itself is helpful. It's even more helpful when the data that captures is run through an algorithm that can interpret it. But let's go back to the capturing of the data itself. Now, computer vision is not novel. It's just novel to healthcare, right? It's been used in other industries. Can you tell us a little bit about where it came from and some of the early implementations of that kind of technology outside of healthcare?
1: Yeah, so we at Capture Proof actually mimic computer vision that was used in a semiconductor approach. So in semiconductors, the placement of specific particles on chips can mean the difference of many, many dollars. And there is a computer that does identification of the perfection of that process. And reflection is one big thing which can be looked at as shadow in human skin when we're looking at our computer visions. We're actually taking a very well-known approach to computer vision and applying it to healthcare. It is not a reinvention. It is a wheel that is already spinning. And as you said, what is novel is the idea of it being applied to healthcare. There are areas in healthcare where computer vision has been working very well, such as in DICOM images, DICOM are your x-rays, your CAT scans, um, PET scans, MRIs, FMRIs. And these are generally speaking black and white images. So your radiologic images, and these have many different computer vision and algorithms that have been placed upon them for aiding radiologists to look at, say, different types of cancers and whatnot. What is interesting about radiologic light versus visual light is color gets added to the mix. And color can be a very compelling aspect to a diagnostic in medicine. And having a consistent color capture over time is a, a nice little trick that we're working on.
0: So we've seen computer vision applied, as you mentioned, to imaging, quality control on chips, but also quality control in car manufacturing. It's been used extensively for, sure. for, for many, many years in, in that element of it. So the ability that a computer can now take a visual input. Now, I also know that some computers use lasers to determine surface areas. How does an iPhone camera actually perceive contours on a or in a place that, to be able to even determine that is the limb that it's measuring? How does that actually work? Does it need more and, than one camera or can you do one?
1: Right now, it's very, especially iPhone. <laughs> you bring them out no, right. You know, Apple yeah. has... They're very proprietary, and it is now new in their iPhone Pro 12, that LiDAR, which is what is used for the driverless cars to look at distances. So the iPhone Pro 12, we have um, access the LiDAR in that camera.
0: Which is radar technology, right?
1: It is radar. It's infrared radar technology. And then what else you have in the iPhones is just recently you have the ability to control both cameras, both lenses at the same time. And so there are very well-known measurement tools that allow you to very, very swiftly take dual images. So you take an image now and a fraction of a second later, you take a secondary image, you measure how much the camera has moved. That allows you to create a biopic view just similar to your eyes. Mm -hmm which allows for a 3D image to be mapped out. When it's a 2D image, a single lens, just like if you were to cover one of your eyes, your depth perception changes um, really to nothing. And so having a depth perception does require, at least an effective depth perception, does require two lenses. And oftentimes you'll see a reference article in an image. So you'll see a little round sticker of green or gray, And that will determine how much a pixel is worth. In that image, and by being able to identify the value of the measurement of a pixel, you can then look at how many pixels encompass your area of interest and put a measurement around that. Oh,
0: cool. I also did not realize that you could take this pictures very, very quickly next to each other, and then that actually can create if you actually measure the motion of the camera plus plus the two images, you can determine the shape of what you're looking at. That's that's pretty cool. Tech does that require the lighter or is that just so no, that's without cameras? LiDAR.
1: That's without LiDAR. and the biopic, the two. biopic, meaning two cameras at once. Mm -hmm. Um, Both do not require LIDAR. LIDAR is just beginning. So we're just starting to get into it. Once LIDAR goes, what's going to be really exciting about that is that reference material that you have to assign a value to a pixel, that is no longer necessary. So it makes what needs to be in the patient's hand much less Cumbersome. Our goal at Capture Proof has always been not to touch the patient and to make it as just that the phone was necessary. So, turning that actual mobile phone into a smart medical camera as LiDAR becomes more powerful and more ubiquitous, uh, measurements are going to be even easier.
0: Okay, so now we covered how camera vision can work from a relatively modern, but soon to be broadly accessible technology. So now that we can now create a 3D image or representation of an object or a person, how do you see that being played, uh, applied in healthcare? What problems can it solve for us?
1: Well, I mean, so many, <laughs> you know, what's exciting is that visual data can solve so many problems in healthcare, even without a computer having vision and there being any analysis to it so of the use of capture proof has no analysis done to it. It is just offering objective, clear, true data to the provider that is decisionable data so that a decision can be made quickly. So looking at that, you have the opportunity here across so many different specialties. The biggest exciting aspects is fall risk. 30% of our ER visits across the nation for patients over 65 are due to falls. But if you could have a patient monthly, bimonthly, depending on their risk, weekly, even maybe daily, be doing a gait analysis so we can look at the symmetry of their movement and identify when they are deviating from their own personal pattern and throw up a signal to say, okay, maybe their medication is too high. Okay, maybe, you know, grandma forgot to take her medication, whatever it might be. We could have the ability to do prevention and keep patients from falling and from getting to that ER. that's just one opportunity. The other opportunity that you and I know both so well is total knee replacement. We know for a fact that at two weeks out, there should be 112 degrees of motion on average to that knee that's been operated on. If that knee is coming back at 60 degrees or my God, at 30 degrees you can have a ding go off and have someone look in and pay attention to the patients that need to be paid attention to and have the patients who are not needing to be paid attention to just stay on course. You yourself have said to see a cold knee come back as the first time you see a patient is a remarkable change to post-op care. And there are opportunities like that across the board. And one of the most amazing things that we do as humans is we forget and so having the opportunity to truly have objective measurements to show us where we've been, where we are, and how that change has happened allows us as patients to be reassured in a way like never before that we're on the right track and, and we should just stay the course.
0: And another area that you guys have sort of pioneered a bit is the diagnostic area, but to capture rare events that can be very problematic.
1: We even just had another publication in the European Journal of Neurology in January. And as you know, last January in JAMA Neurology, so I guess January is our Neurology Publication Month annually. I got to get on it for next year. We did some amazing work with Dr. Tatum out of the Jacksonville Mayo, who's an epileptologist and looked at epilepsy and the ability to diagnose epilepsy from a video alone. What was really fantastic and super exciting was that A patient went in for their HNP and had an hour during physical and had an hour visit with that physician. And the chances of them getting an accurate diagnosis was about 76%. Now, when the patients had a provider was blinded and only saw video and the video on average was one minute and 28 seconds, the patient had an 89% chance of having an accurate diagnosis. And then if you included the video and the history and physical, it went up into the mid 90s. So being able to actually see what patients are talking about has the opportunity to truly show how patients' care should be given. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't need to do any studies to show that eyewitness testimony is not great. And when it's something really stressful, eyewitness testimony probably drops down even further. So the numbers that we've shown there are 80% more accurate triage, nearly saving 100% of the time to an accurate diagnosis. And most importantly, there are something called psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, which is about 30 to 40% of epilepsy patients that are coming in. And in the end, those patients don't need to see a neurologist. They need to see a psychiatrist. And getting those patients onto the right route for their own care as quickly as possible is imperative. And those patients were 100% accurate across the board with the third year uh, general neurology residents and the epileptologists. So if we just use this as a screening tool to make sure that those patients get to the right physician as to spending a huge amount of time to diagnostics. It could really change care. And most recently, we're working with a patient advocacy group called the Hereditary Neuropathy Foundation. And with them, we're mimicking facial recognition to the foot. And so we have 29 landmarks on the foot that we have identified. And Pescavis is a very high arch, is one of the diagnostics for their um, disease state called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. And so we are working together with them to create what we're calling a foot calculator and have the ability to identify patients who are likely uh, CMT diagnoses and who are actually quote unquote normal feet.
0: Yeah. So this technology, as you said earlier, what can it be applied to, right? So computer vision, very promising application. And as you sort of, to summarize a little bit, you've you mentioned that you can use it to just create a visual record because we don't have great memory of what happened over the past six months or so, a visual record of, a, of an improvement, the ability to track, measure results of, as you mentioned, knee surgery, for example, to triage appropriate care. We talked about the ability to capture rare events like a seizure that otherwise have to be explained by a family member who may not be as effective at explaining it, of course, as a actual video of the experience that the, of the event and how useful that can be to a diagnostician who doesn't actually have that otherwise. And then we talked a little bit about the various uh, elements. You you mentioned briefly about the role of color and how it can be used to support diagnostics as well. Like, for example, for wound incision, breakdown infections, that kind of thing. So very powerful technology. And then when you also mentioned that that it can be used for diagnostic purposes, that is where the artificial intelligence slash machine learning piece comes in, where you you use a, a historical database against which to compare this a new image and and then make a diagnosis. Is that right?
1: Could be, but also the computer vision can play that role. So in our knee range of motion, that is computer vision algorithm. That is not machine learning. And that could give you the ability to have an understanding of that measurement and then know where the patient is. The exciting thing about it is that there's the opportunity for diagnostics across so many different disease states or specialties, like we said, I mean, color, texture, movement. It can be neurology, Parkinson's. It could be like you say, an incision site looking at infection. It could be the range of motion of your shoulder or what's going on with your low back pain kind of stuff. But the machine learning and the AI are definitely, those are from like data sets And one of the things that Capture Proof does so well is it is a predetermined protocol that asks for specific information. You can just ask a patient for a video of whatever and use our video voicemail protocol. But generally speaking, say you're doing the low back pain, you are going to have seven different movements that are going to be asked of you. So we understand that each of those movements are supposed to be what we're asking for. So you receive these data lakes and can not only look at how a patient is doing compared to themselves, but you can look at how a patient is doing compared to the average of everyone in that lake.
0: So we are in 2021, last I checked, an interesting year. 2031 comes around, we've passed COVID or we're on to COVID-12, whatever it is. COVID-32. COVID-32, yeah, 12 wouldn't be right. But nonetheless, whatever it is, some new thing. But nonetheless, where are we with computer vision what do you see knowing that you're probably looking at the cutting edge of this technology
1: yeah i think if you're familiar with Robiant, the company what i see the future of this being is until capture proof creates a decision it is still just a clinical decision support tool and i see a future where we have the ability through this information to put the patient onto the right track automated. And that means that those are going to be medical devices. So from this foundation of protocol-driven data capture to comparative organization of that data, and then having these insights created, each of those insights have the opportunity to become a medical device. And that medical device can drive treatment and care decisions for a specific patient. And what I see that doing is I see that enabling providers more and more to be practicing at the top of their license. I see that removing wait and see visits that don't need to happen. Every patient has gone into an office, explained what was going on, but because it's happened once, the doctor needs it to happen again before they can make a call because it is a study of patterns. And so why aren't we showing up prepared as patients with our pattern so that that diagnoses can be made. You even get one seizure for free. You don't become an epilepsy patient until you've had a second seizure. And so what we'd like to do is we'd like to empower the patients to have that opportunity. And what I see in the meantime, between now and then, is a really amazing companion that is working alongside telemedicine to make it easier to do the physical exam at home. You know, we're about to launch a really exciting partnership with AAOS, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery. And they're excited to work with us because it's hard to do a low back exam when you're on a telemedicine call there. You know, you want to have someone lay down and move their legs like windshield wipers and lean backwards and sit forward in a chair and do all these different movements, but they can do health homework. They can do that at home. They can get that information. And then you can look at this data just like you would look at any other scan or x-ray during the visit. So I think what is going to happen eventually is we really are going to put patients at the center of care. And we are going to ask them to take charge of that care. And some of that is going to require the input and the action of the patient to be collecting this information and be their own lab and their own resource to themselves in order to have people be able to make better decisions for
0: them. And at the heart of that really cool vision is... And like I said, it's going to be able to collect so much of that information in a way that can be processed by the clinicians in a tenth of a blink of an eye. I love that, that number that you showed us a Crazy. little a while ago. Perfect. And do you know how
1: long it takes someone to read a thousand words? No idea. Three and a half minutes. There so you go. The, the a lot of blinking of eyes. A lot of <laughs> blinking of eyes. <laughs> I should do that math. I don't know what it is. It's too oh my many. It's
0: exactly. Especially if that writing is difficult, complex, if those terminology is not something you're familiar with, it can get, uh, if nothing else, confusing, but take a lot longer. Well, um, and you're
1: also, when you're reading writing, you're reading someone's translation of something. So you're still not getting the objective data. Even if it's a trained translation, it's still a translation. And so visual data, it crosses all language barriers. It's our most universal language.
0: You know, I really like that idea that it eliminates bias in data because you're actually right, anytime anything is translated, I've no abbreviated, whatever it is, by definition, undergoing a biased perspective by whoever's doing the translating and the shorthandedness, the shortening of the phrases. Yeah, I totally agree. That's very, very powerful. In fact, the embedding of images in the medical record is also something that will become probably as soon as you know data storage, and data transmission, 5G, all that happens, a far bigger part of the medical history taking, just as you've mentioned earlier. We
1: need to take it to the next level because our open and scroll mentality of organization of these images, that doesn't work. And that takes away everything about that 10th of a blink of an eye. And so that is where the power lies is not only getting the right data, but having it be clicks away from organized and coming up to allow you to have that information quickly.
0: Wait, you explain that to me a bit more?
1: So right now, when you want to find a photo, how do you do mm-hmm. it? You open up your camera library and you start to scroll. Now, if you have that in Epic, you have a file folder that you open up that all the files are there and you want to look at two images side by side, you again have to scroll. That's taking you way more than 13 milliseconds to find. Way more. And so having the opportunity to just have three clicks where you're looking at two images side by side and can track through time, that's valuable. And what we need to do is we need to figure out not only how to capture this information, but not just make it some of these terabytes of data that's out there that's non-consumable. It has to be put into the record in a way that's consumable.
0: And consumable means accessible, uh, the right image accessible at the right time. And But what you also mentioned is this time element, which is just not just one image, but the sequential images over time. It's contextualized so that they have meaning to the reader beyond uh, just the one image, which is in exactly.
1: exactly.
0: Thank you for that. No, it's perfect. I mean, like I think I learned a ton, we talked a little bit about the history of camera vision, where it came from, the applications outside of healthcare, how you were enamored with the idea of being to transmit information through imaging, the, the the power of the brain to consume images. This idea we came up at the end that this is the only way to get imaging information that is not biased to the clinician for decision-making. We talked about the fact that Sequential images can give a history or timeline that is often critical for diagnostics. Without it, we really can't make a diagnosis. and having that history, the visual history can accelerate the delivery of care. And we've talked a little bit about the utilization of these tools to also provide a a, tele, a, a virtual environment without having it be synchronous, which as we have talked about in the past is really crucial to the uh, it's really costly and difficult to achieve, but being able to delink it and still have the same sharing of information. Congratulations on everything you've done. You've definitely were at the beginning of this when we did the study back then and we published it on telephysical therapy, is what it basically was asynchronous telephysical therapy. I got something like fifth. 50- 59, I remember the number, 59 messages in the first week of it being published. It was by wow. far the most successful paper I've ever published, uh, in terms of it's the amount of interest it generated in, in this technology and its application. And yes, we had a massive decrease in utilization. And patients just absolutely loved it, their ability to interface with their therapists asynchronously through video, which imparted so much information to the therapist more than they might have been able to do by email or by single photographs. So absolutely. And with that, I want to thank you for participating in Digital Health 101. And teaching our audience a little bit about the implications and applications of camera vision.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: And, Megan, if people want to find your work and they do that, please? find
1: me on Twitter at Megan Conroy, M E G H A N C O N R O Y, or at captureproof.com is our website for the company.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: I hope you enjoyed our podcast exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you liked what you heard, follow us on Twitter at dhealthtoday, that's dhealthtoday altogether. And follow the Digital Orthopedics Conference I chair at the docsf. That's at the d o c s f. See you on the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today.
1: Capture proofs right. all their data, all of our data in the cloud. Yeah, we're so in the So the
0: access point is through a link in the MR to the cloud, to the server, through a secure link? Depending
1: right. on how the integration is done, yes. There's a way for integration to be done through widget, and there's also integration through not dissimilar to how many um, access their PACS systems.
0: And the widget is A, just for our audience. It's a,
1: a widget is a visual viewer that sits within the EHR. That's I. Electronic health record. Yeah,
0: okay. exactly. In other words, you open EHR, it's a little widget a little box. You click on it, you can access the information. That's what a widget basically is. Okay, cool. That's fascinating. And I love the fact that it's 40. That that data you have, you know, it's only 45 seconds, two minutes, and that is why it's become so such a good uh, update because, and physicians know how to impart the correct information that they need uh, to access.
1: We started with patients be- rounding during the beginning of COVID in the ICU. They did the whole patient, um, looked at the body, looked watched the breathing, looked at the limbs, um, looked at each of the monitors in the room itself, left the room, had the video on pause, went and looked at all the labs, videoed all of that, and that was shoved up to a critical care specialist who was able to direct care from the asynchronous round.